0: Hey everyone, this is Melissa, and I'm the Talkative Introvert. So for today's episode, I am joined by Deepy Knutin. Uh, He's the chief collaborator at Collaborative Creative. He's worked on some of the biggest brands such as Coca-Cola, The Athlete's Foot, and Closet Maid. He's also the creator host of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast and author of Nonfiction Brand, Discover, Craft, and Communicate, the completely true, completely you, brand you already are. So thanks DP for joining me today.
1: It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Melissa.
0: Yeah, so thanks. Thanks for joining me. I'm excited to talk to to you and about your podcast and your book and pretty much whatever you want
1: <laughs> well, great well let, let's fire away
0: yeah well first off like i've been asking all my guests this question and i think we talked about this when we met initially uh but not gonna lie i talk to a lot of people so <laughs> i don't always remember uh but are you an introvert or an extrovert or ambervert somewhere in the middle
1: Well, I think I'm an introvert by nature and an ambivert by age and experience. And what I mean by that is, back in the early, early days, I was both a a combination of kind of a little bit of class clown, but also a quiet book reading, uh, it's not all about me all the time boy. And over time... I've been able to deal with that introversion to become a successful professional to the point where I'm a public speaker because I learned one thing about introversion. It's not about the way you are. It's about the way you think. And what I mean by that is I, for the longest time, when I discovered I was quote, an introvert, it didn't make sense because I can turn it on and I can be as verbose and voluble as you would ever want to be. And I didn't get it. It's like, what do you mean? I'm kind of that class clown side of me doesn't feel like that fits the introvert description. And somebody said to me, Let me ask you this. Do you think before you talk, or do you have to talk to think? And I went, Well, I always think before I talk for the most part. Sometimes I <laughs> I'll step in on a landmine every now and then. But most of the time I will think before I talk. And they said, That's why you're an introvert or that's how you're an introvert. Extroverts have to talk to think. And by the way, I can prove that because I've been married to an extrovert for 26 years. She has to talk out loud to think. And it drives me, the introvert, nearly insane (laughs) because it takes you longer to say something than the brain can process it. So I already know the end of her sentence before she gets there and I'll cut her off because I know what you're going to say. And let me tell you, just a little bit of marriage therapy there. Don't do that. It does (laughs) never, ever cut off an extrovert because they're getting to where you already are. It just takes them a little bit longer to get there.
0: Yeah, I uh, took a I took a project management course uh, just recently and we we did a lot of, uh, so for anyone like wants to go into project management, it's very much about people skills and relationship building and all that fun stuff. And one of the things they, one of the classes we had to take was like all about communication and, you know, the golden rule is treat others how you want to be treated. Well, they created like, or they made up the silver rule, which is talk to others how they want to be talked to because everyone has different like talking styles. And, um, like you said, the extrovert, you know, I have a very extroverted family. I have friends who are extroverts and yeah, they just have to like go through that cycle. Like they're, they're just thinking out loud, whereas we're more internal and we think of, you know, we still have the voice in our head. Right. So, but theirs is just more externally.
1: Yeah. And the other thing is with introverts, I don't know the numbers on this, but I'm guessing that there are a whole lot of introverts that if they took the myers Briggs personality sorter of test, they would also be paired with intuitive, meaning that they are introverted and intuitive, and that is a terrible thing to deal with if you are an extrovert who's a feeler because I intuit and you know I've been a creative director in advertising and marketing for close to thirty years. I intuit why design A is better than design B and I can't always tell you why it's just well this one's better why okay if you want me to think about it and come up with why I can explain it to you extrovert who's a feeler but my intuition is telling me it's better A is better than B and part of that is because I've developed the taste level over my life because I've got natural talents in uh in recognizing that which is better than that, which is weaker. Uh, but as an introvert who's intuitive, I'll frequently run into problems with extroverts who need to feel it. They don't feel it's better until you explain it to them and they go, Oh, now I get it. I feel that it's better. So if you're an in, in, so if you're an introvert who is paired with intuitive, What you just said about talking to others the way they want to be talked with is absolutely true. I once heard someone say, communication is with the listener. And I was like, what does that mean, Yoda? Communication (laughs) is with the listener. And then I thought about it and went, oh, if the listener doesn't understand what I'm saying, I have not successfully communicated. They own whether I've been successful. If I tell some things to someone and they don't get it and they say, What? It could be they can't hear me, which is a problem with introverts, right? Soft spoken people such as yourself, Melissa. Yeah. Sometimes need to be louder, especially for people who might have some hearing problems. But a lot of times when people are saying, What is, they are actually saying, I don't understand what you said. So, what a lot of introverts who are intuitive say, They just repeat exactly what they just said instead of saying, well, I need, I think it needs to be about two inches bigger. And they go, what? Because of the way the typography is crashing on the screen, I think the window needs to be two inches bigger. Oh, I now understand. I have now successfully communicated. So introversion, knowing you're an introvert is a a powerful thing, but using that introversion as an excuse not to get out there and put yourself out there and claim that which is yours and demonstrate your value to other people, huge mistake. Because we live in a world where the extroverts will take credit for everything the introverts do. Mm -hmm. That cannot happen. And that's what You know, my book is all about, it's about getting out there and being the personal brand that you already are, but you may not be demonstrating and you may not be differentiating yourself in the marketplace so that people understand that Melissa, you're not just a project manager, you're an incredibly successful project manager. Who's worked on these specific wow projects, had these incredible returns on investment and led this team to greatness with these demonstrable deliverables and metrics you're not a project manager then. you're Melissa, the superstar.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like I, um, I did talk about this, like in like previous episodes before, but I always tell people you are your best advocate and you have to be an advocate for yourself. And, you know, just because you're an introvert doesn't mean you're not good at being a leader and you're not good at being a public speaker and you're not good at this and that that extroverts typically take the role of, You just have to own it and do it and know that, you know, like being an introvert really helps with you to be a good leader or those other, you know, roles, because you aren't, most of us are intuitive and most of us do, you know, a lot of critical thinking and a lot of, we're, we're typically good at like analysis and research and stuff like that. And so, yeah.
1: Well, one of the biggest secrets in the public speaking world is that the uh, the number of introverts to extroverts who are internationally known names as motivational speakers or whatever, there are more introverts than extroverts that do that. And what's people go? What do you mean you're you're on stage talking in front of ten thousand people and getting them excited and all that stuff, and you're an introvert? How can that be? And the answer is. Your introversion allowed you to codify the series of concepts that you are presenting about whatever you do. You know, you could be a motivational speaker to soccer coaches for kids. Well, how did you become a, a motivational speaker for soccer coaches for kids? You thought about it, what it takes to create concepts that get soccer coaches excited and you've got the background. You've got the experience. Now you're demonstrating the expertise that you have. And and you do it because you're talking about something you're passionate about. You talk about it with verve and energy and excitement that gets the audience going. And then if you're a true introvert, you walk off the stage, take a deep breath, and feel absolutely depleted because <laughs> you have left all your energy on stage. The number of top-tier speakers who are introverts is amazing because that's how they operate. They The introversion allows them to create the brilliant concepts that they then present with energy because they're talking about something they're passionate about, but they leave it on the stage. If that sounds like you, you're an introvert, but you can use your introversion power to very effectively demonstrate who you are, what you do, and how you do it in a way that the audience goes holy moly, I want more of that. I want to hire or work with that person or read their book or listen to their podcast because they have inspired me. Introverts can inspire people as effectively or even more effectively than extroverts because introverts tend to not stray over into narcissism so much. A lot of extroverts can love the smell of their own brand, you know? Introverts, however, need to take credit for that which they have done, earned, and, you know, experienced throughout their life. There's a difference. Me being a braggart, talking about everything I've done throughout my life, eh, I've got enough narcissistic, uh, extroverted friends who do that. But an introvert needs to claim what is theirs, demonstrate what they did, As part of that thing, and then continually understand what you just said. You've got to be your own advocate. You said you've got to be, uh, I would say you're your only advocate because in this world, there are far more people who will take credit for that which you've done than give credit for that which you do. Understand that. And it's a whole lot easier for an introvert to say, you know what? I'm taking credit for the work I've done. I'm standing up and I'm demonstrating exactly who I am, what I do and how I do it.
0: Yeah. And there's, a there's actually a lot of introverts out there and, you know, I've been doing a lot of these pod match, you know, guests uh, are ha- having pod match guests on. And a lot of them actually are introverts and a lot of people who do podcasts. And I, because I didn't really know the word until probably like college or like a little after college. Like I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't know what, what that was until um, I was doing interviews for people and the owner, I used to work at a yogurt shop and the owner asked uh, whether the person was an introvert or extrovert. And I thought that's a really weird question to ask. Like why would, like I didn't even know how to answer that because um, he really wanted an extrovert. You know, so I'm bubbly because you're at a yogurt shop. You have to keep it lighthearted, all that stuff. And I I looked it up later and I was like, I am 100% introvert. Does he not know that? Like, <laughs> like I guess because you can, I mean, I guess you can fake it till you make it. But well, no, it's
1: do not confuse extroversion with being presentable in a public setting. There are plenty of introverts who love to wear black and sit in the dark and read books and never engage with people. The old joke about me when I was in college was I'd be the guy at the party in the corner reading a book. Well, I was because the general hey what you doing man conversation was boring to me. Yeah. So I would seek something that would fill my battery uh, will fill my battery intellectually. Well, guess what happened when I did that? Other people would kind of gravitate over, especially if they see what you're doing and go, oh, I just read that. That's fantastic. And then all of a sudden you're talking with someone and if you're you're both into it, all of a sudden the energy starts flowing and you are extroverted about the concepts that you're reading about or your take on the book or you're asking questions about what they thought about this incident within the book or have you read their other books, et cetera. All of a sudden you realize, oh, introversion is again a way of thinking. It doesn't have to be the way you act in life. A lot of the stuff that introverts are afraid of are learned behaviors. I'm the father of 3 daughters who hate to talk on a, the telephone. Yeah. They're, you know, they love to text all day long, but they hate the the idea of calling a doctor to make a a checkup of, of an appointment. Is, is like asking them to walk across hot coals and dive into a, a pool full of sharks. They mm-hmm. don't want to do it. And the answer is that they haven't had to do it, so they're afraid of doing it. It's, it's like minor exposure therapy to get them and say, okay, you're going to sit with me. I'm going to call the doctor to make an appointment, and you're going to listen to me and then I'm handing the phone over to you, and you're going to negotiate the day and time of the appointment. Have we done this with our daughters? Why, yes, we have, because it's a learned behavior Once you've done it once, it's not so scary. It may not be your favorite thing. It's not so scary. Another great example. I'll ask you, Melissa, did your father or mother teach you how to shake someone's hand as you when you were growing up
0: not? Really? I mean, they taught us how to greet our family members in like friends properly, you know?
1: Okay. So that's good. That's good. But there's a a part of the social contract that is very, very simple. And that is how to shake someone's hand, how and when to shake someone's hand. If you have never physically put your hand in someone else's hand, you don't know how long to hold it. You don't know how hard you're supposed to squeeze. Do you squeeze at all? Or do you do that wet fish, a handshake uh, (laughs) that so many women do? By the way, women, if you want to project power wherever you are, give a good firm handshake. And I'm not talking about squeezing their fingers or hurting them. But if you just give a good solid handshake, all of a sudden that's a social signal that says, I'm not afraid of you. I'm powerful. I have things of value to say and share. I'm here, I'm present, and I'm not afraid. All of this stuff goes back to the reptilian part of our brain. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, are you afraid of me? I can tell you're afraid of me. Guess what? You're afraid of me. I am now more powerful than you.
0: That kind of reminds me of a. So I used to go to church when I. Uh, was living with my parents. And so after church, you would hand or shake everybody's hand afterwards. And that just reminded me, I just remembered this little, oh, she's not little. She's like my age, but she physically is very little and very shy and very soft-spoken and didn't really talk much or like interact with a lot of people. And her handshake, like I felt like I was going to break her every time I shook her hand. And she didn't like – she didn't really move. You just grabbed her hand and moved it for her. And so that just reminded me of that.
1: Well, and and so much so that you remember it years later. I mean, let's face it. I I hate to say that a weak handshake makes predators predators, but it kind of opens their parts of their brain. They go, oh, I can roll right over you. I can claim mm-hmm. all the work you've ever done as my own, and you won't say a word. Why? Because you're this shy, timid little rabbit. If you give me a firm handshake, I'm going to go. Oh, wait a minute. There's a. Uh, for those of us who are pay attention to such things, there was a meeting of I don't know the G8 or something like that, and uh, early on, Justin Trudeau, the Prime Minister of Canada, was going to a, a world meeting where he was going to meet President Donald Trump for the first time. His people had prepared him and said, listen, Trump is a hand squeezer, meaning he will go in for the handshake, grab you by the knuckles, and then squeeze hard, and it's a dominance move. Well, Justin Trudeau knew this, so when they went in for the handshake, Justin Trudeau, who's a younger, stronger man, went into that position, grabbed his knuckles, and squeezed hard hard looking at him in the eyes with a smile on his face and if you watch the footage you can see donald trump recognize the dominance move start to grimace because it actually physically hurts but his narcissism would not allow him to signal the secret service to come out and save him from this prime minister who's dominating him it's incredibly interesting but that goes back to like us living in trees you know mm-hmm. this is chimpanzee behavior writ large in you know our modern world but it's it's an example of how if you know how to do something even if you're an introvert you can succeed in a, a place where it requires you to build networks talk to people assert yourself in the marketplace and all that
0: yeah i agree like it's I don't know. It's just like such a vivid flashback, but, um, I, I do even, I don't want to admit it. I do think of like, about like how, like, while you're kind of, I don't want to say weak. What's the right word for, I don't know how to explain that feeling. I mean, you kind of explained it already when you meet someone who's like very timid and shy, I just want to lift them up, you know, give them more confidence and help them with that.
1: Exactly. And what you would be doing is teaching behavior that can be learned. And that's the key. You can learn it. Introversion is a way of thinking. It's not an excuse for being. You don't have, you know, and let me tell you, going back to the speakers who who are, I'm thinking of one specific speaker who is entertaining as, as can be on stage. Literally, everybody in the audience, whether it's, five people or 5,000 or 50,000 by the end of her speech, they're like, Oh my God, I want to go out for coffee with you. I want to get a drink with you. I'd love to have dinner with you. You are so fun. I have seen that person come off stage, smile on their face. The second they're off away from the audience, they almost collapse. (laughs) Seriously, because they are so drained and when you meet them in the hallway one on one and you think you've just met the person on stage yeah you haven't and it's the biggest disappointment to find out this person who is so entertaining and vivacious and, and interesting and charismatic on stage has the charisma of cauliflower off stage because they literally are n- almost on the asperger's autism spectrum they're incredibly high-functioning, but they literally, I, I've known this person for several years, they looked at me, and I had that feeling of, oh, they don't know my name. So I did the learned behavior of, hey, I'm DP, we met blankety-blank, and she said, I know. And I went, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I, I just, and she said, no, I, I I remember. I go, ah. And I said to her, I don't know how to read you. I don't know how to read your face, your demeanor, or anything. And she said to me very flat, I've heard that a lot. <laughs> so she has, she may be, maybe on the autism spectrum at a very high functioning place, but she has learned behaviors that have made her the incredible online or on stage. Presenter that she is.
0: I get that. I' <laughs> I'm laughing because I get that a lot. I I kind of when I talk to guests, especially if they're not like we don't know each other personally, you know, um, it's different with friends and family. But I do kind of turn it on a little bit more when I'm talking to strangers, and it's just so funny that you you mentioned that story because I do I do that also for work. And luckily, we work from home now since the pandemic, and I don't have to have be on all the time, Um, like I am during the meeting. But then once the meeting's done, like I get to be quiet and not talk anymore. And it's just funny because I did have an occurrence with a coworker who they couldn't, they didn't understand if I was mad, upset, or happy, and I had to explain to her. I was like, "Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just like, because I was kind of already my." is already draining by that point. And he said, um, I do tend to be monotone like normally that's my normal voice is monotone. And so I do have to learn to smile when I actually am happy about something or learn to like, you know, make some type of emotional expression to show what I'm thinking or to like verbally say what I'm thinking so that people know what, what, what I'm thinking. And so I kind of I kind of get that.
1: Well, and you're doing what you should be doing, which is I I know I'm an introvert. I'm taking that knowledge and I'm using it to power me in a positive way mm-hmm. because I know that Zoom calls make everybody flat. If you're on a Zoom call for a meeting, sometimes the best thing you can do is be a little bit. 10% more, 15% more than you are normally and turn it on. And and like, I find myself on zoom calls doing the benign smile with the head nod every once in a while, yeah. even <laughs> if I'm not really listening closely because the social signal I'm sending out is that I value you. I hear you. Your voice is being heard. What you're saying is being absorbed and potentially acted upon and I value, you know, I truly do value not only our personal relationship, but the relationship of the rest of the team on this Zoom call enough to, to do the uh huh, the uh huh head nod, the maybe the occasional I'm writing something down. Oh, by the way, this is something I taught my daughters. I have to do, well, especially back in the day when I worked at big ad agencies, I would go to client meetings and there'd be 15 people in the room. I don't know about you, but a meeting with 15 people in the room, to me, the introvert, is a complete waste of time because 50% to more, even above that, of the people in that room don't need to be there, don't want to be there, including me. Like if it's a brainstorming session, if you're an introvert like me, complete waste of time. I don't mind getting briefed about what the task is and what the goal is. But let me go off on my own and brainstorm, because that's what I've been doing in my career as a creative director and copywriter for close to 30 years. I don't need someone else's half-assed ideas to generate more of my own. What I need is the time to do what I do best, which is sit and stare at the wall or out the window thinking, because again, I'm an introvert, and coming up with ideas. I don't need to waste my time in that group of 15. However, because I need to be present in the meeting and looking like I'm actually paying attention, I will write notes on my pad that consist of the words, I am writing notes. I am writing notes. And then I'll stop and I'll listen. I'll have the pen in my hand just like I do right now. And I'll go, "Uh uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. I am writing notes. I am writing notes. Now, if they say something worthy of a note, I'll I'll definitely write that. But I actually do the note writing, and that's a signal. I've been in meetings as the director, the creative director, with my creative team, and if people are in that meeting and no one's writing any notes ever, I'll call them out on it and say, at least fake it. (laughs) <laughs> because I need to know that you're participating in this meeting and not just breathing air in the same room I am. Yeah. So that's a that's a learned technique, too. I am writing notes. Affirms that communication is hap- happening. Even if you're, as an introvert, you already, oh, I've already gotten it. I, in the first 10 minutes, I knew what the meeting was about. I knew what the goal was. And I know what the deliverable is. Why are we continuing to meet? okay, I guess I have to put up with this until it's okay for us all to break up for the meeting. Have you ever been in that situation where you go, I already know what this meeting's about, I already know what the goal is, and I already know what to do. And you have to sit there for another 45 minutes?
0: Yeah, it happens all the time. I'm in constant meetings, back-to-back meetings, and it's kind of a lot of them could have just been an email, you know? But I feel like especially because we're working from home now. I don't know if people just want to meet just to have some type of human interaction, but yeah, we have a lot of wasted meetings and I do have a lot of um, new behaviors ever since I, I started working. Like I started again, I had an office job, I think like seven years ago now. And it is a lot of like, I mean, we're looking at each other right now in webcam and I am nodding and I say, uh-huh. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I didn't do that before. That's definitely a learned behavior. I didn't realize that people needed that, you know, signal until I was in a meeting with people. And now that we're doing, um, like zoom, well, we, we use MS teams, but we don't, it's not mandatory to do a webcam because like, Leadership decide like, you know, if you are not comfortable, we're not gonna make it mandatory. We want people to be comfortable in this new environment, blah, blah, blah. And so I do have to do the verbal, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Right. Because if I don't, they'll be like, Can you still hear me? Are you still there? And so I have to like do that.
1: And I gotta tell you, um, and this is me old white guy talking, webcams are absolutely necessary because So much of the true communication happens between eyes, by body language, by nodding, by, oh, I'm writing this down, even if it's fake notes of I am writing notes. All those things are social cues that are part of communication. If you don't have your webcam on, especially if you're trying to project your personal brand the people to to make it clear that, oh, you're a smart person, you're engaging, you're listening, you're involved, you're taking what's being given to you and adding on top of it, doing the, the plussing that Walt Disney talks about. I take your idea, I add to it, making it better, creating energy. And all, you can hear voice levels go up as people get more excited about what's going on. If you are, if your camera's off. Well, great. You are just, it, it's like, why don't you just take your, your, whichever your preferred hand is and tie it behind your back? Because that communication tool is not in play. Huge mistake. Huge mistake. As is the introvert's excuse of, I don't like networking events, so I'm not going. <laughs> I mean, the best thing in the world for that type of introvert was the uh, uh, advent of COVID 19. You don't have to network anymore because you don't get face-to-face with anybody. And believe me, I was all about that for 20 years in my career. It's like, just leave me alone and let me work. I want to do creative stuff that really engages people, that makes them laugh, makes them cry, makes them buy plywood, whatever. Just leave me alone. Well, here's the thing, and this is where I get into the personal branding spiel. For 20 years I didn't personally brand myself. I was the shoemaker's child that had no shoes. I did I made shoes every day, but I had no shoes for myself. So all of a sudden you reach what I like to call your X years where you're experienced, you're you've got dem- demonstrated uh, I'm sorry, you've got demonstrated excellence as part of what you do. Therefore you're expensive and if your name is not on the door, you're expendable. If you reach your X years and you have not created a personal brand where people know exactly who you are, what you do, and how you do it, and why they should engage with you and what your value is to them, you are going to be hit by that redundancy baseball bat at some time in your career and at the absolute worst time. In my business, advertising and marketing, if you're 50 years old as a creative, meaning a art director, graphic designer, copywriter uh, or anything like that. You're not employable. Now they will never tell you that, but they will look at your resume and your age is not on it, but they can figure out how old you are and they'll go, no we don't need someone that old we need young we need young and vibrant we need young and hip we need young and digital natives who who know what the uh, you know what the latest social media platforms are and how to exploit them we need young 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 well if you have not created a a proven brand that makes you a yoda worth flying to dagobah to train with you are in you're really a a certain creek with no paddle you've yeah. got to build that personal brand demonstrate who you are what you do and how you do it in a way that people understand what value you offer them and why they should contact
0: you yeah and i think that pertains on in all areas no matter what your career is because i am not you know i'm not a graphic designer or anything like that i work in it and I also loathe networking. I hated it so much, but like, you know, my, my managers and my mentors are like, you gotta go, you gotta go just even just to, just to meet the different people in our company. And plus there's free food and alcohol. So have fun. (laughs) But I, you know, when I went into it, I didn't have a degree in it. My degree is in something completely different. And I, the only reason I was able to get the job is because I interned and my father, father-in-law um, got me in it. And so I don't have any like experience in project management and IT and like any, I don't have any like technical experience or anything like that. Like I started in um, document quality assurance and, you know, I've, I've proofread like my classmates essays, you know, that's the extent of my experience in that area. But, but regardless of all that, I still did a really good job and I, I excelled and I made a name for myself and people recognized my name. And I went to these networking events to meet different people so that, you know, people knew like, who's Melissa, like everyone knew who Melissa was. And so when I got to the point where, you know, they needed, someone on this project or someone, um, on this project, like they would hear my name and be like, Oh, okay. I know that person. Or they heard, um, other managers talk about me and how good I am at certain things. And they're like, okay, we want her. So even though I don't have the degree or the experience or, you know, any certificates because they knew my name, they knew my reputation at work. They were more than willing to, like, you know, hire me for that project or move me on to a different project.
1: Well, and this is uh, what you said is exactly right. This is where I want to talk about the difference between brand and reputation. Reputation is something I hold about you. I understand what your reputation is based on what I've heard from other people and what you've demonstrated to me. A brand is. What I demonstrate in the marketplace about myself so that people will say, who's that DP guy? Oh, he wrote that book, Nonfiction Brand. Oh, yeah, he's a copywriter. Oh, yeah, he's a creative director. He's got that podcast. All of those things are brand-oriented things. And you'll notice my book is the title of my podcast. My book has a picture of me on the front cover, not buried somewhere in the back not because I'm some type of narcissist well don't talk to previous girlfriends but don't, but it because I need to demonstrate what I look like like smiling face older guy with a salt and pepper beard that's mostly salt and glasses by the way these glasses these frames equinox EQ304s i've got 10 pairs of these so that as my prescription changes over time i have frames that can work until I die because I finally found a pair of frames that fit my face that are distinctive without being, look at me, look at me, look at me. They aren't vivid red or acid green. They're black in fact, but they're consistent. And by the way, what shirt, what shirt color am I wearing? Oh, it's black. What, What, what's the cover design of my book? Oh, it's black and white with a deep, Ox uh, blood, uh, maroon, red accent color. All of these colors are, con- I can u- I use them consistently as part of my brand. So that, Melissa, we have never met in person, but let's just say we're at a conference of 5,000 people. Uh, I would have contacted you before saying, Melissa, I'm so looking forward to seeing you at this conference. Can't wait. But yeah, you're going to be there. F- oh, wonderful. I hope to see you in the halls. Fine. I come walking down there. I'm a six foot three plus, uh, big guy, fairly big guy, two hundred and thirty pounds, and I'm wearing a black shirt. I'm wearing the same eyeglasses that you've seen from my book, from my cover art on my podcast, and you. uh, And because of my size, I'm bigger than ninety percent of the people walking down the hall. You're going to be able to see me five hundred yards away and go, "That's DP." Oh, I got to go say hi to DP. All of a sudden. My brand, we haven't even met yet. You've got enough understanding of what my reputation might be based on what my brand has told you to think. I I like to say brands say cultures do when it comes to businesses. But it's also true brands say what reputations think.
0: Mm, Okay.
1: At least until I do something to ruin that reputation personally.
0: (laughs) So – you know, we we touched on personal branding in your podcast and your book. Um so why did you name it Nonfiction Brand?
1: Well, that's interesting. Uh when I was a young copywriter, I worked at uh, an agency in Atlanta, Georgia that had Coca-Cola as a client. And uh I learned very early on when I'm writing, you know, print ads or billboards or radio scripts for Coca-Cola, That when I went to present to the clients at Coca-Cola, they were going to ask me, without fail, three things. How does this say authenticity, refreshment, and sociability? And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Authenticity, refreshment, sociability. These were the three pillars of the Coca-Cola brand at the time. So, okay, that's great. I know that. But I need to know a little bit more. And one day I got a creative brief that said, write some stuff in the copy points part, which is the part I cared about because I was a copywriter. It said, write some stuff. And I'm like, what do you mean write some stuff? What is this? Is it a retail ad? Is it a buy one, get one free? Is it a supplies limited? Is it a, an event that we're inviting you to? Is it a new product we're launching? W- what do you want me to say? And I So I take that creative brief to the person who wrote it and I said, what is this? And then I said something that stuck in my head for, the, for probably 15 years. I said, I am not a fiction writer. And what does that mean? Well, I can write bad fiction that no one wants to read. So it's not that I can't write fiction. It's that when it comes to advertising and marketing, I am not a fiction writer. I will not tell a lie. I don't mind polishing stuff or spinning it as much as I can to make it work for the client. But I'm not going to say that, uh, you know, this sugary drink is going to make you lose weight. That's a lie. I need the nonfiction facts about what it is. And so I started thinking about that idea, nonfiction, nonfiction. I'm not a uh, I'm a nonfiction writer. No, I'm a nonfiction brander. Well, what's a nonfiction brand? A nonfiction brand is based completely on who you are, what you do and how you do it, what your value is to other people and why they should engage with you. So when it comes to nonfiction branding, it works for huge companies. It works for individuals. Let me give you an example. Uh, A realtor, a real estate professional hired me to help them with their brand because they understood one thing very important. If you are not a premium brand, you are in fact a commodity that exists in a barrel with all the rest of the commodities, some of whom may be a little bit rotten. Now, I don't know about your experience with realtors, but I've had some great ones and I've had some terrible ones. I've had some that are like you want to invite to your kid's birthday parties, and I've had some that you would love to see put in jail. So all realtors are the same, right? If you're in that barrel, you're an apple that's going to be just as bad as the most rotten apple in that barrel. The key is to get out of that commodity barrel. Mm-hmm. And onto the uh, the stage where your premium brand can demonstrate and differentiate yourself from every other realtor out there. What you do technically is realty, you know, work with real estate. But that's not why I want to engage with you. The realtor I worked with, I was talking with her. And part of my process is to ask questions and just deeply listen. And so one of the questions I asked, I said, so after college, uh, how did your professional career start? And she said, well, I was a journeyman union carpenter and blah, blah, blah. And I went, whoa, whoa, wait, back it up. You're a woman who's a journeyman union carpenter. I want to follow this because I know no journeyman union carpenters, much less female carpenters. I don't want to say women can't be carpenters because obviously they can. But in my mind, carpenters are generally male. Tell me about you and and what does that mean? Well, it turns out she built houses. She swung a hammer. She cut boards. And I went, this is hugely important to your brand because realtors love to walk into a house and say, oh, we can knock that down. We can put a, a window in that wall. We can do this, that, and the other thing. And you look at them and you're going, oh, you're wearing Louboutin shoes and white clothing on a job site. And I don't trust you because you've not demonstrated your expertise. Meanwhile, if you know this, that she's a, uh, came up as a journeyman union carpenter. And when she says you can open up that wall, she, it's based on the fact that she has built walls like that. You have a lot more faith and trust in what she's saying. So that was a huge thing. That's a true nonfiction element of who she is as an individual. Consequently, that takes her out of that barrel of realtors who are all about showing you two houses and then getting a check for $20,000 at the signing. It takes her out of that barrel and puts her on an entirely different stage in your mind and one that you are happy to share and evangelize and you become part of her unpaid sales force because you know exactly who she is, what she does and how she does it and why she's valuable and why you should engage with her. Word of mouth is the best form of advertising. You can't have word of mouth working for you. If you haven't started building a personal brand. Now, Melissa, you said you've already got people talking about you, about what you're good at, the things why they might want to engage with you. You've been building your personal brand and you didn't even know it because you didn't have that framework in your mind. You've been doing it osmotically or organically. What if you put a little bit of time into it and did it purposefully? And by the way, you already are. You have a podcast called the talkative introvert, huh? That's an interesting dichotomy there. Talkative and introvert? Interesting. I want to learn more. Now, based on the name of your podcast, I'm going to guess that you're probably an introvert. That's interesting. Do you see what you've already done? Yeah. Your brand has given you a reputation in my mind before I even met you. So that when Podmatch served up your podcast as a potential match for me as a guest i'm like oh i'm all about this i do two seconds of research on you go to your website for the podcast and see go to the about me page and it says i'm actually an intj a i'm like oh my god you're my people because i'm an (laughs) i i'm I'm an intj who's now an intp because of my age and experience the j turned to p But that doesn't mean that we aren't totally the same person or that we don't, we have the same engine in our chassis, if you will. Yeah. And obviously I can turn it, I can turn my engine loud. I can, you know, I don't have a muffler on my engine, but do you see what happened? I was attracted to you by that, which you are demonstrating in two words as the title of your podcast. Talkative introvert huh oh, tell me more that's how smart branding works so are you letting f- things organically be said about you that forms a reputation that people will hold and are it's hard to control or are you developing a purposeful brand that gets the messages and the demonstrations of who you are what you do and how you do it out there in a way that people go I think I want to talk to her at least meet her let's just meet her
0: Yeah. I was surprised how – because for me, when I started the podcast, I mean, it still is a hobby. I like doing it. I love talking. I love talking to people. And sometimes I like just talking by myself to an invisible audience. And I just – when I created the name, it was just like, oh, that's witty. You know, like, oh, funny me. (laughs) Like it just I just thought it was funny because, you know, you don't think about an introvert as being talkative, but I am talkative and I can talk a lot if it's a subject I am passionate about or care about or, you know, am interested about. And when I did start a pod match and started getting uh, you know, matches, I did ask some people like, you know, like why why do you want to be on my podcast specifically? Like I know there's some people who are just reaching out to literally everybody they match with. Like there are people who are just, just want to be on as much podcasts as they can be, which is, you know, I get it. You're trying to spread your message and get out there. So that's very important to those people. But some people were like, well, honestly, it's, it's the title of your podcast because they're like, I love podcasts. I'm an introvert too. I like talking too, but they don't like talking like you know, small talk or like in large parties where you can barely hear the person and they're just asking you like, Hey, what's up? Or like, what are you doing there? Or like, how do you know? So-and-so like, it's not very, it's not always like interesting. It can become interesting, I guess, but having this one-on-one and doing like, um, having this conversation, it's just so much more energizing than trying to like talk to a million people or network or anything like that.
1: You know what? I, I use the word nutrition to describe what you're talking about. Nutrition. The conversation we're having right now is nutritious for both of us. I'm learning from you. You're learning from me. That's I'm a lifelong learner. If you ask me what's the most important thing in your life, it would be, well, obviously my family. But when it comes to activity, it's like I I have to learn. The stuff I watch on TV teaches me stuff, even if it's a fictitious drama I learn something, and or I I develop more sensitivity. The, The intuitive side of myself is fed. All of these things. It's nutritious. A bland conversation about the weather? Boring. A conversation with a meteorologist about how tornadoes form? Incredibly nutritious. I'll talk to that meteorologist all day long. And I don't know about you, but I've literally when I've had the proverbial uh, conversation with someone, I met someone, I remember this vividly. I said, so, you know, so what do you do? And he said, well, actually I'm a diamond merchant. I went, oh my God. So uh, tell me about that. Because I understand that diamonds have, uh, basically De Beers has cornered the market on diamonds. And if all the diamonds w- in the world were released right now, they would have the value of a dollar of a carrot. And he goes, yes, that's actually true. They actually have And we had this conversation that went on forever. I know nothing about diamonds. But I had this incredibly interesting conversation with someone because of the nutrition I was receiving and he was receiving in the form of my questions, my enthusiasm, my interest. Because let's face it, if you're talking, if you're watching a football game with some friends and they say, so what do you do? I sell diamonds. Oh, okay. Crickets. No one cares about that, right? (laughs) If you find someone who gets something that you're interested in or is interested in it like you are, let's say it's Japanese anime. My daughters are into, one of my daughters is a cosplayer who does Japanese anime and stuff like that. She's basically doesn't talk to anybody, but boy, you talk to her about that, watch out because the tsunami of words are coming out. And the conversation would be interesting on both sides because it's about a transfer of nutrition between two people who are interested in the same thing.
0: Yeah. That reminded me of someone I interviewed not that long ago. They were seeing how they love. Uh, I don't think this made it onto the episode, but they said, I love the questions that you ask. And I was like, well, okay, thank you. Cause no one's like said that to me before. And they said, I love the questions that you ask because it seems like you genuinely actually want to have a conversation and you're actually interested in what they have to say where, versus somebody who, because they made an example of somebody they also matched with and they kind of just had, had a list of questions on a Word document. And so they would ask the first question, they would talk about it and then go to the next question. It wasn't that easy flow like back and forth and it just, It just sounded like they wanted to get their questions, like, you know, go through other questions and get them over with.
1: Because they weren't listening. Mm -hmm. They had a podcast. They needed words to fill their podcast. They didn't care what the words were. Yeah. You know, I don't know if, uh, if you've ever watched a TV interview with somebody on one of the major broadcast stations. But there are interviewers who, when they hear the piece of gold, they grab that piece of gold and they throw the rest of the con- the, the questions they may have on their list. You got to maybe have a question in mind that you want to ask. But good interviewers don't have a list of questions. They listen and then grab those grains of gold and follow that vein of gold wherever it goes. You know, if someone said, well, you know, uh, it was about three years after I killed my first wife. I got my first film job, blah, 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 blah. If it went on to talk about the film job and didn't talk about you murdered your first wife, what? (laughs) As an audience member, you'd go, were you even listening? Because I I, I would follow that story more than I would them talking about whatever the film they're in now. You know, I do the same thing. like uh listeners you don't know this but i'm telling you melissa did not send me a list of questions before we got on the horn and started talking i love that because it forces me to be on my game it forces me to listen and it forces me to try to uh not only give value but pull value out of melissa and i think you're doing a, a absolute great job because you're demonstrating unknowingly everything i wrote about in my book
0: Oh, <laughs> well, thank you. I, I did at the start when I, cause I'm used to talking to friends and family. We don't, you know, prep for it. Like if there's a certain subject we want to talk on, we'll research that subject, but that's it, you know? And so when I did first start, I did like come up with a diff- a bunch of different questions and I prepped myself and I, I don't do this anymore. Cause it's, I don't know why I did this at the beginning, but it kind of stressed me out. Cause I'm thinking, okay, like, you know, like what kind of responses would they have and how should I respond to their response? But at that point it's kind of ridiculous. Cause you're trying to predict the future. And at some point um, I still prep just in case, cause there are some people I've talked to, unfortunately who aren't very good at the back and forth. So I kind of have to go through the questions and um but that's pretty rare. But I do find out that like, if it's a good conversation, there's a good dynamic or the, so the subject is interesting. I end up not even looking at my document because I did talk to someone recently who asked for questions ahead of time, which is fine. Like I'll do that. And I did give it to her, but we ended up not even really using it because we were just having a conversation. Uh, but I do understand like some people, they like to be prepared beforehand.
1: Well, life is, uh, you can prepare for life eh, to a certain degree, but for the most part, it it's what happens based on who you are, what you do it, and how you do it, how prepared you are just to be yourself. And, you know, being an introvert is no excuse for knowing what your value is to people and how you can demonstrate it and how you can share it and all that stuff. So if I have one thing to leave your audience with, it's, Don't use introversion as any kind of excuse. Use it as a tool to understand the way you think. And then an opportunity to discover the things you need to do to get past it. Things like being able to get a doctor's appointment on the phone or shake someone's hand or how to walk into a room knowing nobody and knowing who you should walk up to and even say hello to. The pro tip there. Always look for C-shapes, not O's. C-shapes, meaning three people talking together, but they aren't closed like a circle. They're open like the shape of the of the letter C. If they are open, that means they're open to someone walking up and saying, Hi, my name is, or whatever, blah, 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 blah. If it's closed, don't even try to open that circle. They don't want that circle to be opened that that'd be another one of those tips and tricks you need to learn and you need to learn by doing so get off your butt. And especially now that things have reopened after COVID get back in front of people, because I don't know about you. I've had multiple jobs throughout my career. I can't tell you how many of them were based on recommendations by people who knew me, you know, I have been placed, let's see, I've worked at, 10 different agencies over my career, I think. I was placed by a headhunter at two of them. The other eight were word of mouth from f- trusted friends and acquaintances who recommended me or recommended th- the place to me. That says everything right there.
0: Yeah, definitely. I <laughs> went through the same thing. They, I think most of my jobs, if not all of them, were a recommendation or, yeah word word of mouth. But yeah, well, on that note, <laughs> it might be, this could be a good time to, to end. But before we end it, um, do you want to share like how people can find you, where they can find your book?
1: Yeah. Okay. So my book, Nonfiction Brand, Discover, Craft, and Communicate, the completely true, completely you brand you already are, is available in the warehouse of a certain man named Bezos. It's available on Amazon.com, just about every version, you know, all around the world. Just look up nonfiction brand and the word Knuton, K-N-U-D as in David, T as in Tom, E as in Edward, N as in nothing, my last name, and you'll be able to find it there. The nonfiction brand podcast is out there in the world as well. I just recently took a little bit of a hiatus once I got to 200 episodes every week, close to four years, I was like, I need a little time off. Who's that? Oop. Um, I, I took a little hiatus after those episodes, uh, and I'm just restarting it up. So uh, you can go wherever you find find podcasts for free and just look up the nonfiction brand podcast and you will see the same image that is on the cover of my book the smiling face of this guy, D.P. Knuton. And I would love for you to check that out. You can also, I would love to invite your guests to go to nonfictionbrand.com slash gift to download three PDFs that can get you started on building your brands in a way that can really uh, provide value for you. All you have to do is go there, download the PDFs, You don't have to join my email list because, frankly, I don't ever send anything out to it. It'll ask you to join, but you don't have to. If you want to, that's fine. But download those PDFs and start doing those things today, and you will start building the personal brand you already are but are not taking advantage of.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing all that knowledge, and it was fun talking to you about everything. And, yeah, thanks for being on the podcast.
1: Well, thank you. Have a great time. Have a great day. Have a great life. (laughs) Thanks. You too.
0: Thanks for making it to the end. If you enjoy what you hear and want to stay up to date on the show, please follow me on Facebook and or on Instagram. You can also check out my website at thetalkativeintrovertpodcast.com. All the information will be on there as well as in the show notes. If you want to help support the show, please review and rate the podcast and share it with your friends and family. Thanks so much. And I'll talk to you guys in the next episode.